Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. In this episode, I chat to art critic Tabish Khan. We talk about how he entered into the arts, having not studied an arts-related subject. We also talk about issues within the art world, including social media and the quote-unquote who-you-know culture. Listen in to hear me ask him about how he approaches being a critic, and if he has ever had to write about an exhibition he really didn't enjoy. Tabish specializes in London's art scene, and he believes passionately in making art accessible to everyone. He visits and writes about hundreds of exhibitions a year, covering everything from the major blockbusters to the emerging art scene. He's been a visual arts editor for Londonist since 2013, and he is also a regular contributor to FAD, with a weekly Top Exhibitions in London column, as well as one of my personal favorites, a column called What's Wrong with Art. Thank you, Tab, for coming on the podcast. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And now, on to the interview. Hi, Tabish. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I am going to dive right into my first question, because I first want to talk about your education and your job. You didn't study an art subject, and your full-time job is not in the arts. Can you tell me and our listeners a little bit more about what you do? Firstly, thank you for having me. In terms of how I got into art, it is through a very circuitous route. So I studied biomedical science at King's College London. I was very much a science person. I had no interest in the arts. My parents, family, friends had very little interest in the arts. And I came out of university having dissected lots of dead bodies specialising in advanced human anatomy and then just applied for graduate jobs and ended up in the energy sector which is now a 15 year, I had to think about that a bit, 15 year career in the energy sector and then essentially what I do is I look after energy regulation and policy for a large energy company so it's a, your standard office job and then while I was working on this job I used to commute via London Underground which pre-COVID pretty much everyone did and I would look up at the tube adverts and see things for like Tate and Royal Academy and National Portrait Gallery and I thought I don't know anything about these things but I am looking to broaden my horizons outside of work so why don't I go to exhibitions and see what happens so I started going to some exhibitions and then discovered there were lots of other galleries out there you know the smaller names commercial galleries you may not have heard of and then kept going and going and a cousin said why don't you write about this stuff so I wrote a blog didn't get much traction and then I kind of pitched it at other people so I went to 
Londonist and I said oh do you want me to write about it and they were at the time were volunteer led so I was writing for free um, not so anymore for Londonist but it was a case of I met them at the right time because someone as amateur as I was back then would never be taken on as a writer for Londonist as it is now because it's quite established but I grew up with them and became their arts editor and I've been doing that for 10 years and then I met Mark at a opening who runs Fad Magazine and he suggested the top five and that's also been going for nearly as long and then also started writing for Culture Whisperer about a year ago so it all kind of snowballed from then but yes I have no art history background, no background in the arts and I think that gives me a sort of unique take on the art world because I'm coming at it from an angle of I didn't grow up steeped in this, so I can have one foot outside, one foot inside. And now, 10 years later, those same tube posters that inspired my journey occasionally will have a four or five star Londonist or Culture Whisper rating on it, which means my story has come all the way around full circle. That's amazing. Do you think that you would ever want to go into the arts full time? In terms of going into the arts full time, I always feel like there's a big pay discrepancy. So my day job to put it that way pays a lot more than writing i think it's about 10 to 1 as a ratio and that's not because my day job pays inordinately large amounts of money it's because there's not much money in writing about art and in truth most writers who exist in the art world make their money elsewhere so most writers i've met tend to either do if it's purely in the art world, then they'll be writing exhibition catalogues and working with commercial galleries doing talks and so on. And that's what pays better rather than the published reviews, which get you the exposure, but don't necessarily pay. Or people end up taking other comms work. So writing in-house for a large corporation or something that doesn't give you much profile, doesn't give you much creative freedom, but does pay well. So that's how they end up. But, you know, arguably, looking back in history, I don't think there's ever been art critics who were making money from writing about art. You know, you look at the likes of John Ruskin. I think he was independently wealthy. He didn't need the money. He just wrote about art. So I do wonder if there will ever be a time when writing about art pays. Maybe there was a little sweet spot back in the 90s or something before my time. And for that reason, I can't see myself going full time into art. Yeah, I think that that's quite the the eternal struggle in the arts because I think that when you do these things, as you say, that give you traction or give you any type of uh, FaceTime with anyone who is consuming that content, I definitely think that you have to be doing other things on the side, either like a full-time job in an institution or a gallery or in a PR company. I know so many people doing that, but then on their side or on the side, developing their own projects or writing or things like that yes and I think you know even if you grew to an extent where let's say social media has changed the ball game completely if you end up being so big on Instagram you could make your money through say sponsored advertising yeah well then that's just become another job so it is still a day job but it's almost linked to your the two jobs kind of blur together but it is you are still earning your keep in a way it's just through a very different means of doing so and I think you know I don't want to judge people people do whatever works for them but for me 
if someone wants to do sort of sponsored advertising on my Instagram feed, which I have been offered in the past because um, it's grown quite a lot, I would not be a fan of it just because unless it neatly aligned with what I'm posting about normally. Oh but. yeah, you can't show up in like yoga pants <laughs> and be like, oh, I just bought these from Lululemon. It just doesn't align. No, and I feel that I appreciate this as a podcast so people can't see me, but I don't think anyone <laughs> wants to see me in yoga pants. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that's, that definitely makes a lot of sense, especially because arts and, you know, commercialization and it's already such a heated debate. So, you know, we can go into a whole separate debate with Instagram. But most Saturdays, you go around London and you take in a multitude of shows because you work Monday to Friday. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you do that and how you manage your time juggling all of your responsibilities? Well, juggling my responsibilities is largely down to the fact that I don't really have that much of a social life um, <laughs> or much time outside. I'm never not working pretty much. So Monday to Friday, I'll be doing the day job. And then sometimes going in evenings or when the day job allows me, as in I'm in the office in London, for example, I can sneak out and see a few galleries over lunchtime. It means that Saturday I will spend going around galleries and then Sunday I'll spend writing. So there is no day off, unfortunately. So the way I do my Saturdays is I look at all the emails that I get. So I get over 100 emails a day about exhibitions. And that's not including DMs from Instagram, Twitter. And I make a list of things I'm interested in. And then I kind of roughly split it between central, east, north, southwest London. And then I'll try and focus in possibly one of those areas for a Saturday, usually centered around the show that I really want to see. So I'll put one show that I really want to see and then build the day around that. I do find that with art, what I love about it is it does take you to places that you would never go to. I mean, recently... I went to the press view at the Brent Biennial, which is across the borough of Brent, where it's not known for having a high density of galleries, so I don't go that often. And they had work in a church called the Tin Tabernacle, which I'd never come across before, which is essentially a sort of makeshift church made out of iron, corrugated iron and tin that just stands out on a street. And it's been there for over 100 years. And I would never have come across that if it weren't for art. I love art for that, for that reason, that it takes me to lots of different places that I would never discover otherwise. Absolutely. And because we were talking about Instagram earlier and we touched on it a bit, you have amassed nearly 20,000 followers on Instagram. How do you think that that reach on social media has impacted your endeavors as an art critic, both you know negatively or positively? Instagram is a wonderful tool in terms of democratizing art. I'm not going to defend the negative sides of it, you know, in terms of making everyone very self-conscious about who they are and what face they're presenting to the world. I think it is important to remind yourself at all times that the world you see on Instagram is not the glamorous world that everyone lives, you know. I go to lots of exhibitions. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see me, oh, Tab's here, he's there, he's having a great time, he's at all these exhibitions. And you won't realize those one evenings where I come back and I'm like, oh God, I'm not eating. You know, just go into my M&S and see whatever's on discount, grab that, you know, <laughs> and then have a wolf it down while watching some TV and then quickly get back on my emails. You know, that sort of element of my life is a very much a part of it, but for obvious reasons, not one that I share on Instagram. I don't think people want to see that. 
particularly, I think that goes up there with me and Lululemon pants <laughs> in that, you know, it's one thing that you don't want to see. Uh, but that's because I'm presenting what I think people want to see. And it's important for me to remain true to what I'm trying to do, which is on Instagram, I'm trying to say, I'm going to exhibitions. Here are some things that I've seen that I think you might like. And people would look at that and go, yeah, that looks great. I'm going to go see that because it was recommended to me. Or equally, somebody looks and goes, that's not my cup of tea. And that's fine. You know, I think that's absolutely fine. I'm going to all these things so people can pick and choose what ones they want to go to. So I think that is an important element of it. And of course, Instagram is about the projection of self. And if you're taking pictures of yourself on Instagram, to some degree, you must have some ego. And I'm not saying I don't. So of course I am promoting myself. That's what I'm doing. Instagram is part of my wider brand management, if you want to use that phrase. And I love it for that. But at the same time, I don't want to ever get to a point where my Instagram feed is more about just promoting me. I also want it to be helpful for other people to look at it and say, yes, I follow Tavish not because he is a person I identify with, but because he gives me good tips on where to go and what to see. I think that that's also reflected in something as simple as your username, because your username on Instagram is London Art Critic, and it's not Tavish Khan. And I think that that also kind of takes your direct identity out of that a little bit, because it's referencing exactly what you're trying to do with the account and exactly who you're trying to reach. I mean, it's quite obvious then who your audience is because they see that username and if you're in London and you like art, then that's the place to be. Mm, it does wonders for my SEO as well, because I've realized a lot of people have found me just by Googling London Art Critic. And, no way. And I appear and I'm oh, like, that's amazing. <laughs> so it does work. And it's strange because I joined Instagram well after Twitter and I had named myself really? London Art Critic on Twitter. And it, the username was still up for grabs, because usually if you leave a big gap between setting up both accounts your username is gone and you have to pick something else. But nobody wanted it. So, and Instagram has grown much faster than Twitter, which is strange because, yeah, I've been on Twitter for longer, but it has quickly overtaken all forms of social media in the art world. Yeah, but because it's such a visual platform, isn't it? It is that. And I think also it's the case of, you know, phones have got better in terms of taking pictures. And also, if you look at Instagram, it is very much that anyone feels that they can take a picture of something and share it. While Twitter is very much an opinions... And obviously with opinions comes the dark side of people sharing opinions and lots of back and forth and unproductive arguments. While Instagram is generally a more, should we say, happier place in terms of there's not much negativity in it. Um, it may be seem almost escapist and not real, but there is that element to it. I think there are downsides to Instagram and I feel a lot of artists especially feel the pressure to, you know, be present and be visible I think I often make the joke that um, if a piece of art isn't on Instagram does it really exist possibly being the great metaphysical question of our time uh, and it's true that you know it feels like you know if you don't have an Instagram profile unless you're so established that you don't need it I mean I know people like Damien Hurst has an Instagram profile but he doesn't need it he'd be fine without one and Anselm Kiefer and Anish Kapoor they'll all be fine without Instagram but if you're trying to make it either as a curator, critic, writer, any person of influence in the art world, I feel like you have to have an Instagram profile 
otherwise you can't reach people which is quite sad i feel that you know we have become a world where we reach people through our phones and not through personal physical interaction which is a bit strange but the really good part of instagram is the fact that it is quite democratic not perfectly democratic but quite democratic in that the art world being a very small world much like any small world is a very much who you know and it still is who you know helps you get ahead and instagram you don't necessarily need to be in the right places at the right time to be who you know you know you could just be recognized by someone because you just have a presence on the platform and also the kind of artists who galleries aren't favoring at the moment because art very much goes in fashions and if you make a type of art that isn't en vogue right now but you can amass a large instagram following then you can get reach without needing those galleries without needing museums and a lot of artists have bypassed the existing art systems altogether and there's nothing wrong with that i think that's a very positive thing ultimately there are billions of people in the world and for you to be a successful artist or a successful influencer of any kind, you only need to reach 0.001% of them. It's so interesting to talk about that and to talk about, because like as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about how the art world is currently very much favoring these younger artists that are quite, you know, fresh out of grad school to a certain extent and, and how that's changed a lot. And I was speaking to someone last week at an opening and we were talking about how Instagram has completely changed the art world landscape. We've definitely seen certain color palettes also suit Instagram very well. And I think that's a bit of a shame because I like to post about things that I think people should see. And I know when the things that I post, some of these things will get 500 likes and some will get 50 likes. But I feel like people are tailoring their Instagram feed to what they know will do well to an audience when... People want to follow people because they're genuine people who have genuine taste. I think that's that's quite sad. I remember there was a recent show where Instagram very much favours, unfortunately, um, how do I put this? The very attractive young woman in front of artwork is quite a common twist that we see on a lot of feeds. And it happens, but I'm not, I'm not blaming the young women particularly. They often be, turn to be young white women about this because they're doing what will get them more following. That's why they're doing it, because that's what Instagram wants. And the algorithm prefers faces. So if you're not in the work, it's actually gonna decrease coverage. I found it strange when I started posting pictures of myself. And I thought, I don't consider myself a particularly attractive young woman, but, <laughs> but when I started posting, it was getting more likes. And I was like, what's going on? And it's, that's what people want to see and that's what the algorithm is doing. But then I saw something that made me quite uncomfortable the other day where I was at the Hayward Gallery and there's a new exhibition called In the Black Fantastic, which is an exhibition with black artists showing work that uses sci-fi mythology and fantasy, as in the fantastical, to highlight racial injustices and how that's important. And it's a very, very good show and a show that we really should be having at the moment. But then I saw, um, I didn't know who she was, but a young white woman posing next to the work and I thought well hold on this is an exhibition all about bringing black voices and black artists to the fore and you've just taken a picture that if you post it on Instagram is putting you as a white woman at the center of the photo and I genuinely don't think that's her intention I didn't know who this person was 
and I saw her from across the room, so I didn't get a chance to say anything. But it did feel wrong to me in that that's not what should be centered. So often I do pose in my feed, I pose in front of work, but often it's usually myself interacting with the work or with the artist. I try not to make it too much about me because I think that does take away from the art. Obviously, if it's an artwork to be interacted with, then having a person in shot makes sense. Or if you want to show the sense of scale, having a person helps. But if if a person is standing in front of the artwork and blocking it, I'm not sure that's spreading the word of the art. It almost feels like when you see those pictures of people on tropical islands, they're treating the art like the tropical backdrop. It is just the backdrop to you and it's about you and not about art. So I don't think there is an easy answer to that, but I think it's important that everyone thinks about it and then settles on something they're comfortable with. Yeah. I had to stifle my laughter because that was, I was like, oh my God, you are spilling tea. Because it also, I think as a young woman, when I started doing Instagram a bit more, it was in 2019, 2020, when I started to really think about making my Instagram more focused on art. And there did come a point where I was like, I need to post more of myself because I would only ever post art. I never posted myself. And then I saw these Instagram accounts that were doing really, really well when there were these fashionable, thin, white women in front of artworks. And I got it in my head that I needed to somehow do that in a way. But I, I get really nervous if someone takes a picture of me. I don't really love it. I'm trying my best to learn how to pose for headshots if I need them. But I don't feel comfortable going into a gallery and, I don't know, doing an outfit change to pose in front of an artwork because I wore my Doc Martens to the gallery but then want to stand in my heels in front of the work. Like... I just am not into that. I also don't have the time for it. And I don't feel like my Instagram personally would be suitable for, for that. It's just not the type of space that I want to make it. However, as a woman, a young woman thinking about Instagram, I definitely felt that pressure. And I'm glad that I got out of it a little bit and I'm making it very career focused now. That is my goal because I want to show what my focus is on and that is my focus but I completely understand where you're coming from and what your critique is of that. That's really interesting. And it segues right into my next question, which is, have you ever absolutely hated a show and then subsequently written about it? I've hated many shows uh, <laughs> and I have written negative reviews about them. Um, I think the one that, the couple of that spring to mind was a Tasta Dean exhibition, which she had a National Portrait Gallery and National Gallery. It was very academic, dry video work and I wrote quite a scathing review and my editor got a full email of complaint from someone, a fan of her, the artist, about how terrible I was as a writer, referred to me as ill thought through and cheap clickbait and, you know, said that I shouldn't be allowed to write. Um, oh my God. It's just fun. Um, I can share it with you. Yeah, it's, um, it, but, you know, it made me think you're having an effect if people actually feel like they have to complain. And then the other one that I did was about, at Tate Britain, it was called Conceptual Art in Britain. And it was a conceptual exhibition. It was so dense. And the writing on the wall labels was so terrible that, you know, I thought it was one of the worst exhibitions I've ever seen. Not primarily for the work, but because I write for 
everyone. I want everyone to experience art. And I was thinking, what if someone who didn't know conceptual art or wasn't familiar with it thought, I don't know anything about conceptual art, but there's a show about conceptual art. Let me buy a ticket, go see this show at Tate Britain and see what happens. They would walk out thinking, oh, conceptual art isn't for me because I didn't understand anything that was going on in there. All the wall texts were written in heavy language that I didn't understand. And they would never engage with conceptual art again, quite possibly. But now I have to kind of focus on the ones I want to write about. And that tends to be more positive. So now I, I don't think it's ideal, but most of my negative views are negative by exclusion rather than negative by inclusion. I would love to be able to write about all of them, but unfortunately I'm running two full-time jobs. I just don't have the time. So I go and write what I'm commissioned to write about and the things that I really want to write about. And that tends to stray into the positive. Thankfully, Fad do give me a little outlet, which is a column called What's Wrong With Art. I know, I see it in your newsletter every time it comes out and I am a huge fan. Uh, But yeah, there are lots of, there are lots of issues with art, but that all comes from a place of me wanting to make things better. I want to ask you, how would you navigate a situation where someone you really like and maybe are even friends with put on an exhibition that you strongly disliked? Giving negative feedback on anything is always tricky. I think most people are quite grown up. Um, I'm always very fearful of doing it, but you know, a lot of galleries I know, I go into them and they ask me what I thought of the show and I'm like, this one isn't for me. And they're like, well, can't like everything, can you? So that's fine. And they know I've written about some of their shows, so that's fine. Artists can be quite sensitive about it, understandably so, because, you know, an artist, when they create work, is essentially bearing their soul and you're telling them it's not very good. So I'm always very careful. I would never say it at their opening, for example. If they, if they asked for my opinion, I'd be very diplomatic because this is a time for you to celebrate your work. I don't want to bring you down on an evening where you're meant to be having fun. But some artists have even said to me, you know, an artist that I won't say her name on the podcast because not because I don't think she doesn't want me to share it, but because I've never told her I would share it. But an artist that you and I both know, um, who I collect as well, so I own her work. She had a show. I didn't write about it. And she came up to me afterwards and said, oh, Tab, you didn't write about this show. You know, let's be honest. What did you think? And I was quite honest. And I said, you know what? I really like your work, but that wasn't your best and I think you do better and it was great because she said you know what I thought the same I was rushed and I made some works that I wasn't a hundred percent with but she valued that feedback and you know we're close friends still so I think I can have those conversations but obviously I will judge the situation and the time you know there is a time and place to do negative feedback and add an opening or over social media is not the place because you know, so much is lost in words that it should really be done one-to-one without an audience if you can do that. And if not, then I think, you know, discretion is the better part of valour and you need to just step away and and maybe give a diplomatic answer. I'll give you one of my tricks though, which by saying on this podcast is possibly giving it away, which is that when, when somebody asks me what I think about their show, um, and I don't like it and it's at their opening often the response which is often part truth is I haven't had a chance to look around yet 
Or the other one is when you're speaking to an artist is just say congratulations on the show because they do have a show and you are congratulating them and that's genuine. Uh, oh no, but not... any artist who then has you at their PV <laughs> and you say congratulations on the show, I haven't had a chance to look around yet. <laughs> that That is giving the game away. But you know, sometimes that is true. I haven't had a chance to look around yet. I just got here. That brings me to my next question, which is what is something that you think needs to change within the art world? I think there are a lot of things that the art world needs to improve on. I think it's great in many spaces that I'm not saying in any way that the art world is as diverse and inclusive as it needs to be. But coming from a very corporate culture, it feels a lot more diverse and inclusive in the sense that, you know, there are more different types of people, people who dress differently, who look differently. Well, in the corporate world, everyone looks kind of the same, you know. I always joke that you go to an office... Even now where offices don't even have dress codes and like 90% of the men wear a blue or a white shirt or a white shirt with blue stripes. You know, it's very, it's very uniform and things haven't changed much. Or, you know, I, I always joked I ran, ran into an artist who has many tattoos and she was wondering where she was going to get a sort of 15th tattoo. And I thought between all the people I know in the corporate world, they don't have 15 tattoos put together. So it is that kind of, it's a very different uh, world. But I think one of the key ones is pay is the big one, right? You know? Hell yeah. And, and, and people might say, well, you know, why is people not being paid enough important? It's basically economics, supply and demand. So the reason they pay so little is because so many people want to do the job so they can get away with paying so little, you know. It's the reason why firefighters are paid less than investment bankers, even though you'd argue that firefighters are more important to the world than investment bankers it's because of supply and demand and how it's structured well in the art world the issue with that is the art world is trying to be more diverse but ultimately if it's a world where you can only survive at the beginning by having rich parents you're only ever going to get middle class and higher children joining the art world i shouldn't say children will be young adults by the time they join uh, but what that means is that it is very old world money and it's often very white in the UK that is and even when I meet people who are quite diverse in the art world I'll find out that yes they are persons of color but they're from very wealthy backgrounds and while that's good and I'm not saying that in any way they haven't faced discrimination and challenges to get to where they are it's still not a full level of diversity we want to see you know I think as a man of South Asian heritage but of a middle-class background I think it was easier for me to enter the art world than it would be for someone who's from a very working-class background and we do have that issue but you know if I was from a working-class background and I had two choices which was going to fine art or accountancy and I knew my parents were struggling to feed and house me I know what the other me would recommend would say go to accountancy because I know you'll get solid income and you'll be able to help your parents out and maybe move out on your own pretty quickly and therefore, you know, that's that's the better option in terms of quality of life, even though you're not possibly following your dreams. So it is it's a big issue and I don't really know how to solve it because the places where people establish themselves in the art world are often public institutions and public institutions are struggling for funding. They're getting less and less funding from government. They're feeling pressure on funding sources because in a good way, we've become more transparent about who pays for things we're starting to critique that but I don't see pay going up you know I've seen 
assistant curator jobs at major Stop, museums. don't even. I, I, I applied for half of those and it made me cry. <laughs> 22K per year for an assistant curator at Tate. So I remember there's this, um, there's this expression we often use in the corporate world, which is called earning your age. So if you're 25 years old, earning 25,000 pounds, for example. And most people start their career. That's actually a really interesting way of looking at it. Mm. Wow, I've never heard that before. And most people start a career. You might start below your age, yeah. but very quickly in the corporate world, you go past your age yeah. and then you don't look back because then it starts to accelerate faster than your age is going up usually but in the art world I speak to people and they go like, I will never earn my age that will never happen it's never going to happen and that's quite sad because it's a big barrier to people yeah. joining and I don't know I don't think there's an easy way to fix it and I mean one positive if you want to take away from it the fact that there is so many people trying to get into it means it is a world worth getting into but the problem is at the moment it's the preference is towards people who can afford to not make money in the early days and in the long run um, do well. Because all those people who join the assistant curator at Tate and don't get paid very well, in the long run, once you've got, say, five, six years at Tate under your belt, then all the commercial galleries will come knocking and want to hire you. And therefore, then the money starts to build. And, yeah. you know, journalism is the same. At the top, it pays very well. At the bottom, it pays very poorly. Um, so acting is another one where they talk about, you know, people who are earning enough money that they don't have to have a side job and go to every audition, while people who are working as a side job in a barista as a barista cannot yeah. go to auditions within working hours. So that effect also happens in other art forms as well. Yeah, it is very difficult and you know, it's, it's strange that, you know, you, you get a job where you're only like 22K and everyone's like, you're the lucky one. It's just, it just yeah. seems so Oh, strange. you're so lucky at, at, when you're working at Tate and it's like, I can barely afford to pay my rent and my commute is two hours. <laughs> I think the other issue that always feels a bit strange to me is that the art world is great at this illusion of money. So even the people who are earning like £19,000 a year look like they're living a great life. But I, I mean necessarily like the lifestyle that comes with art feels very wealthy like you go to openings yeah. and there's free alcohol like there's no like there's no limit on how much you want to drink there's like you go to all these fancy parties and soirees or you know you're That's at a serpentine true. summer party and it looks did you go to that i didn't but i did find it ironic and i will not mention names here but obviously i would go if i was invited but i saw yeah so would i <laughs> of course you would uh, serpentine um if you're listening to this Hans <laughs> <laughs> but i saw people there and i thought this is so strange because they often write in terms of their practice is very much like the whole world's ills are due to capitalism. And then they're at the serpentine summer party mingling with the 1%. And you think, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite ring true. And I think that's one thing I don't quite like about the sort of hypocritical nature of that. So, yeah, I don't like how the art world is a bit of a bubble in that sense and and it's also a very strange bubble where you've got all these artists and writers who are very much like socialism is the cure and they're also in bed with this one percent of art buyers but my art costs eighty thousand <laughs> <laughs> per piece yes yeah, so I, I would think if you're an artist who sells work at more than what fifteen thousand pounds which is not high-end in art world no. that's starting to get just beyond the affordable into the mid-range Who's buying your art? Because even I if, sure as hell can't. But even if someone was earning a hundred thousand pounds a year, that's fifteen thousand is still a lot for them. So these are not the hundred thousand pound a year people working in banks. These are the million pound a year people working in banks. So you're definitely selling to the one percent. 
you know, or even the 0.1%. And it's a strange kind of marriage of convenience where we both kind of pretend that we don't know what each other is doing. It's, it's very strange. And yeah, I think we need to just accept that, you know, if we are all part of one world, as it were, we are all interconnected to each other. And therefore, we can't have such black and white opinions of the world. Yeah. And definitely more conversations and more transparency about money. That is definitely something. Yeah, we should have those conversations about, you know, how much do people earn in what roles? Because artists are also all over the place. Some of them are multi-millionaires. Completely. But others you'd think are very successful and you're like, oh, you're doing really well. They won't be earning as much as you think. They're just getting a lot of public commissions, which don't pay well, but increase their profile. Absolutely. I'm going to wrap up the episode with one final question. And this is a bit of a fun one. And I love to ask all of my guests. If you could pick one artist from art history to have dinner with, who would it be and why? It's a strange one to pick an artist to have dinner with. Because I feel like, oh, there's so many interesting people. But I feel like I'd probably hate them, you know? Like, I feel like Caravaggio was a very unpleasant man. Great painter, very unpleasant man. I mean, Van Gogh, slightly unstable. I feel like, who would I want to talk to? I mean, I feel like, you know, what I think would be my most intriguing wouldn't be the artist per se, but it would be bringing someone like Leonardo da Vinci and, like, showing him a smartphone and seeing what he thinks of it. Because people always say that, oh, you know, people are inventors, but would they actually be interested in where the world has become, what they think of the world today? When my teacher used to teach me Shakespeare was doing this because he was trying to say this. I'm like, was he? Like, no one actually spoke to him about this. Was he just writing it because it rhymed? It's okay, you did other great things too. You don't need to be a, <laughs> feel bad about making things rhyme. So I feel like that we we look back very much like, oh, that's history. But history always changes and things are always changing. So I'd love to see someone from a painter from the Renaissance get their views on the world today. I think that would be quite interesting. Fabulous. Well, Tabish, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute joy having you. Thank you very much for inviting me. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.